Well, just to follow up from a moment ago, since our congregation returned to in-person worship following the pandemic, we have now welcomed 70 new members into the life of this church. Isn't that a blessing? And I would be remiss if I didn't pause for a moment and express appreciation to staff and church leaders who have worked hard and done a great job, but also to give thanks for all of you. Because you can claim to be an open and welcoming church, anybody can write that on their website, but you actually believe it and put it into practice every week. I see you, and I hear the testimony of people like some of those joining us today who say that they were welcomed here. Someone stopped to learn their name, to invite them in for a cup of coffee, to encourage them to join the choir or be part of a Bible study or a small group, even to take them out to coffee or to brunch. So thank you. Thank you for being willing to walk the walk of being a welcoming family of faith. And if you're here visiting this morning for the very first time, apologies, because now you're likely to get mobbed at coffee hour by people trying to <laughs> out-welcome one another. But especially I want to give thanks. I want to give thanks to God that welcoming 70 new members, most importantly, says something about how the good news of Jesus Christ is joyfully shared and sung and prayed in this community in a way that is clearly contagious, full of grace and love. I guess somebody forgot to send us the memo that the Church of Jesus Christ in America is dying today, because you are crushing it, church. Way to go. Congratulations. Yeah. And honestly, that would be sermon enough for today, but I did spend a few minutes putting a few thoughts together, so we will jump in as we continue our series, Encounters with Jesus from the Gospel of John this Lenten season. This morning, reading from John chapter 4, this story is a long story, and so I'm going to read selected verses, but I encourage you to take time today or maybe later this week, maybe in your small group or in Sunday school, to read the whole story, but listen to God's word for us this morning. Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews did not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but 
Those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you are, that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come, come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. And many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, for you alone are our rock and our redeemer, and let all God's people say, Amen. During this season of Lent, as I mentioned, we are reading together, studying together, a series of encounters with Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John. Now, one of the wonderful things we discover in a study that works through one of the Gospels is the opportunity to see how the Gospel writer has chosen and placed stories so that we might discover new insights through comparing and contrasting these stories, as well as some of the lessons that are learned through repetition or themes that get developed over time. Specifically, our story this morning from John chapter 4 is placed immediately following last week's story from John chapter 3, I think in order for us to notice a contrast, a very stark contrast, between the characters that we are encountering and who are themselves encountering Jesus. Nicodemus, last week, and the Samaritan woman at the well this week. Nicodemus is highly esteemed in his community. The woman comes to the well at noon to avoid the glances and the whispers of her community. Nicodemus is highly educated. He knows and practices the law. And while we don't know the level of education of the woman at the well, we can assume from our knowledge of first century Palestinian culture that she was likely uneducated. 
Nicodemus, we presume, is a wealthy man, someone that everybody knows and would know around town by name. She is unknown, and in John's gospel is not even given a name. Nicodemus is respected by the Jews. She is from a community that is despised by the Jews. And finally, and somewhat ironically, the one who has been enlightened by the law comes to Jesus at night in the dark. And the one who walks through the valley of social shadows, she comes in the bright light of the noonday sun. A fascinating set of contrast between Nicodemus and the woman at the well. Some of the contrast that you might explore in Sunday school this morning or in your small groups this week or in your own devotions as you are following our study series this month. But there's another contrast I noticed by going back even another week. We began this series two weeks ago in John chapter 2 with Jesus at the wedding in Cana, remember? And what I discovered when I looked at these three stories is that the first two show Jesus in what I would call unavoidable situations. Jesus and his pals are at a wedding, just minding their own business. When all of a sudden, and to be honest, it's his mom's prodding, isn't it? Pushes him into what was a kind of unavoidable situation. It wasn't his choice, necessarily. In fact, it seemed he was hesitant to jump into that situation. And again, last week, it seems like Jesus presumably is just out somewhere at night, minding his own business, when Nicodemus, uninvited and unannounced, pops up and appears before him, and that encounter takes place as a result. But in contrast, today's story is different because Jesus not only could have avoided this situation, it would be expected that he would avoid it. Most of the Jews at the time would have avoided, if possible, any encounter with Samaritans. They didn't associate. There was animosity between Jews and Samaritans for religious and cultural reasons and likely political differences as well. So Jews traveling from north to south or from south to north in that region would have traveled around Samaria. Just to remind us if we're a little less familiar with some of that first century geography, uh, hey, uh, up in the booth, do you guys have a map of first century Palestine by any chance? Uh, that's a little too detailed to make out. Can you give us something a little simpler? No, that's, no, that, that's maybe too simple. Can we get, there we go, something in the middle, yeah. So what you'll notice is in the south, at the bottom of that map, is the region of Judea. At the top, on the north of that map, is the region of Galilee, And as this story began, it said Jesus was going from the south, from Judea up to Galilee. What's maybe a little hard to see, depending on where you're sitting, is that there's a gray dotted line that goes uh, in a loop around to the right there, and it says traditional route. That's the route that Jews ordinarily would have taken to avoid Samaria, and presumably that Jesus could or would have chosen as well. But instead, following that green arrow, he goes directly into Samaria. He chooses what could have been avoidable and has this encounter instead. Thanks, guys. Jesus not only could have avoided going to Samaria, he could have avoided the well. He could have avoided the woman at the well. He could have avoided a conversation with the woman 
at the well. But he chose not to do any of those things and instead does what is avoidable. He chooses to encounter the woman who has come to get water. Can you give me a drink of water? Jesus asks. Crossing now not only over boundaries of religion and culture, but also of gender and of social norms of the day. And the woman at the well is surprised, shocked, I imagine, by the fact that he would choose to cross these boundaries with her. In fact, as Dr. Anna Bowden reminded those of us who were at the retreat last weekend, she calls Jesus a Jew, names him as a Jew, and it's the only time in the Gospel of John, other than at his crucifixion, that Jesus is named as a Jew. I think John is using that term here to say that she also marks that stark contrast, that distance, that border that exists between the two of them. And yet, without missing a beat, Jesus invites her into deeper conversation. Oh, he says, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Like Nicodemus last week, she misunderstands his spiritual words for literal ones. She starts with a literal interpretation and is kind of confused about what this living water is. And so Jesus continues to draw her into even deeper conversation, deeper revelation, deeper insight and awareness by saying, go and call your husband. And then the two of you come back and we'll all sit down and chat about this together. Oh, she says, I imagine dismissively, I don't have a husband. And I think this is the crucial part of this text. You could interpret Jesus' words as a kind of finger-wagging scolding, couldn't you? You're right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're shacking up with now is not your husband. Isn't that the kind of tone of voice that sometimes we might hear in this text? But I don't hear it that way. I, I actually hear it more gently. Jesus is simply acknowledging the real circumstances of her life. Because the truth is, over the centuries, many scholars and theologians have branded this woman with a kind of scarlet letter. Some have even suggested that she might be a prostitute, but I don't think that's the case. The truth is, we don't know why she's had five husbands or who the person is she's living with now, but we do know this about first century Palestine. Women in that time, as women in many times, including places in our time, had no power over their lives. She may have been widowed once or multiple times. She may have been barren, unable to have children, the kind of curse in her day and age that would have excused some man cooking her to the curb. She may have experienced any number of challenges or traumas in her life. We don't know. She may have made some kind of a domestic arrangement with a distant relative or some man in the city in order to come under and within his household because a woman living on her own had almost no chance of survival in her time. She needed someone to be her protector, her provider in that time and place. But what we do know is that the scandal of the circumstances of her life, not of her own doing, nevertheless weighed her down so much that she came in the heat of the day to the well to avoid the other woman who would have come at dawn or at dusk, probably wanting to avoid their whispers, their stares, their rumors. 
I think what Jesus is actually doing here is not scolding or shaming her. In fact, he says nothing about sin. There's no moment of forgiveness offered. I think instead he's just offering to reveal in an honest and vulnerable and tender way that yes, I know about your life. I know about the embarrassment that you carry. I know why you're here at noon today. You see, Jesus is saying to her, you thought the boundary between us was religious or cultural or even a gender-based boundary, but they're not. The real boundary between you and I, the real boundary between you and God, is the boundary that you believe exists because of the shame you carry in your life, the brokenness that you don't want anyone to see. And I'm here to tell you that I do know you. I know you just as you are, as you really are your whole life, your whole self, and I've come to speak to you a word of truth and grace today. I've crossed all these boundaries in order to quench your thirst for worthiness and belonging, for purpose and promise, with living water that will never run dry, so that you will know that you are fully known and fully loved by God. Nothing that you can do or that has been done to you can ever, ever change that. And then perhaps one of the greatest contrasts I've noticed between last week's story and this is that we don't know how Nicodemus responds to that good news that God so loved the world. But we do see how this woman responds as she runs to her village to tell others about the Messiah who knows her and loves her still. Now as followers of Jesus Christ, our starting place often in reading these gospel stories is to ask what would Jesus do? To put ourselves in Jesus' sandals and to follow his lead. In this case, the lead of crossing boundaries, searching out those in our families or in our communities, people that live in shame or brokenness or some other form of social exile because of the shame and brokenness in their lives. And then to testify to them of that living water that we've tasted, to lead others to discover it as well, to restore people who long to be fully known and fully loved as Christ has known and loved us. And that's an important enough lesson in and of itself today. But like any good story, we can also put ourselves into the shoes of other people. And I want to invite you to put yourself in the place of the woman at the well today. Reflect on the places of shame or embarrassment, failure, grief, brokenness, or sin in our lives. Because the truth is we all carry those things within us. We have all put up self-defense boundaries or borders that put us in a kind of exile, that hide those parts of ourselves from one another, even that hide those parts of ourselves from God. And it's worth noting today something that we've reflected on before, the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is the experience that you have when you believe that you have done something wrong. You've made a bad decision or you've acted in a bad way. Shame is the experience you have when you believe there is something wrong with you. Let me say that again. Guilt is what you experience when you believe you have done something wrong Shame is what you feel when you feel there's something wrong with you, something broken about you, something unfixable about your very nature and being. 
And what Jesus is doing here is telling the woman at the well and telling us that there is nothing irredeemably wrong or broken about us, that you don't have to hide your pain to be in the presence of the one who created you and who knows you best your whole life, who loves you and has a plan for you. And aren't you thirsty? Aren't you thirsty today for that kind of good news in your life? Presbyterian pastor Mark Ramsey reflects on today's story by asking, what did Jesus really do for this woman? He didn't heal her of any disease. He didn't raise her child from the dead. He didn't dazzle her by turning water into the very best wine. He simply talked to her. But the words Jesus spoke were so radically different from the other words that she had heard. Jesus' words broke into the silence. They broke into an isolation that she did not choose with words of such healing and redemption. She could barely believe it. Words so filled with grace and truth that she would never be the same person again. And much of what it means to be the church today is up for grabs in our culture. Isn't an essential part of being the church is that we are to be the word of God for the world and for each other. To be the lived out truth about who God is and what God does. That we need to be keen listeners and proclaimers of the words that breaks into the silence of every exile that everyone experiences. For there is a painful silence and isolation in nearly every soul that we encounter, and in nearly every one of us. The quiet exile weighing us down so that we don't feel like we have any way out. And we, we today are recipients of the word that breaks through once and for all with the lived out truth that God dares to reach out across boundaries with living water that gushes up for us like a spring of eternal life. John records this encounter with the woman at the well, her true thirst quenched by living water, and records that she now leaves behind her water jar. Did you notice? Because her thirst has been quenched by living water, and she runs back to her village as a witness, as one of the first disciples of Jesus Christ to proclaim the truth that God knows us and loves us. What a gift to her. And what a gift her testimony is to us. If you've been around First Presbyterian for a few months or a few years, on occasion you've heard me use an analogy to describe how we might think of ourselves as church today. And it's an analogy of a cattle ranch. Probably a fair enough appropriate analogy for Colorado. On a cattle ranch, those cattle can be kept within the property by building a big fence or a border around the edges to keep all the cattle in. Or, cattle can be kept in by digging a deep well of fresh living water. And even cattle know not to wander very far from that water. From that deep well in the center of our community, and I think that's the invitation for us today, church. The invitation for us to be like Christ, the ones who offer living water to others, who are willing to cross borders and boundaries, willing to cross into those avoidable spaces, even though they can be challenging or inconvenient, so that we, like the woman, might offer a witness to God's love and grace, so that others might come to believe, so that we might truly create that open and welcoming community 
that we were so excited about a few minutes ago. And I think the invitation for us today is also to remember there are times when we are like the Samaritan woman. When we too experience our own shame and grief, brokenness and sin. When we feel that there's too much distance between us and God. Perhaps we've even put up a barrier there because we don't feel that we are worthy of such abundant blessing and love. Kind of like feeling unworthy to drink a $120 glass of wine, isn't it? And then, and then we discover that Jesus, Jesus crosses over to us anyway so that we might be set free to live life abundant, a life of freedom in Christ and compassion for one another so that like the woman at the well, we might be recipients of the living water and run out to tell others, a joy-filled witness of the good news, Hey, come, come and see the one who has told me everything I have ever done. The one who truly knows me, who sees me just as I am, all that I am, and loves me so much. He cannot be the Messiah. Can he? Amen.